You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest, national level coach, former professional volleyball player, and current head coach of the University of Alberta, who also specializes in the setting position. Now, I know coaches out there, we're always trying to get better at that setting position because they're the quarterbacks of our team. And I can tell you, this is an episode you do not want to miss. The amount of technical stuff we know how we're always as coaches we're always trying to find the technical stuff of the positions like how do you teach a setter how do you teach a pass or hitter what's the technique of setting well guess what this is an episode where we walk you through step by step what to look for in a setter how to train your setter what are the technical things that you should be doing with your setter so your setter can improve this is an episode that i can say with certainty you're gonna want to come back and listen a bunch of times to make notes so if you're driving You're going to want to definitely come back and take notes on this one because I made a ton of notes myself and it's an episode that you definitely don't want to miss. Now, I do want to give you kind of a little, uh, uh, a little foreshadowing here, but there is a lot of, there's some of the things that he talks about, he is showing with his hands. So I do my best to explain what he's doing, um, like through a podcast, because I know this is audio based. So we do clarify a lot of things. So I did my best to make sure that we walked through just, just a few, a few moments in the interview where he uses his hands and stuff like that to show certain things. So just be aware of that. But I will say, if you are a DVA member, guess what? DVA members, you will have access to this video. You just gotta, gotta go in the, in the coaching calls, in the coaching call section of the membership in the answer vault and just search the interview with uh with brock and you will be able to look at the video and see exactly um what he was doing um but if you're not a dva member don't worry i did my best to try to explain it as well so you can see some of the things but regardless there are so many takeaways from this interview uh so many technical things that you're going to want to definitely definitely uh write down and apply to your gym so let's get into this episode stay tuned Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 75 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week in the volleyball world. Uh, No matter where you are around the world, if you are in Canada, I know many people have been diving into their first set of games the last couple of weeks, if not this weekend. I myself had my second college match this weekend, and that was exciting. Uh, a lot of learning happening right now. You know, it's, it's, it's great to be back on the court after, what, an 18-month to two-year hiatus. So that was nice. I know my friends in the U.S., that thing stopped for most of you. You guys are still playing. But, as, but you know, it's, it's the new season for some of you now, and it's the end of the season for the high school uh, session. So really glad, really glad to have you guys on board. If you are a new listener to the pod, welcome. My name is Coach Brian Singh. I'm the host of the Volleyball by Design podcast, and I appreciate you tuning in. And if you are a regular listener, as always, thank you. Appreciate it again. All right. So we've got a great episode for you guys today. Um, I got a special guest on the pod today. Uh, and I, I've known this guest for some time. Actually, it's funny. When I used to coach Dane and Kofi Gem, with uh, many of you know, went to UCLA, three-time All-American. Um, I, this was one of his choices to go play at this university, uh, actually, in Canada. And this coach is, has a wealth, a wealth of knowledge 
big coach of the game a long time, both at the collegiate level, national level, um, as well as individual skills training. He is um, like fundamentally sound. He knows the game inside out. And I can't wait for him to share a lot of things with our listeners. One thing about this show, if you're a new listener, is that we always want you to take away some tangible step-by-step certain things that you can take back to your gym and apply to your team right away. So hopefully if you're, if you're driving, focus on the road, but if you're listening to this and you're sitting down, make sure you take a lot of notes. If you're driving, you have to come back to this episode and take some notes because uh, I'm definitely excited about this conversation. So I'm extremely honored and I'd like to welcome on the pod for the first time, uh, Brock Daviduk. Brock, how are you, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me here, Brian. Excited to do this. Yeah, man. No problem. Appreciate it. So uh, I know about you, but I know our listeners may not know about you, especially since we have listeners coming from all over the world. Um, so do you want to tell us a little about yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, in terms of my volleyball pathway or what? Yeah, let's just, let's just go from like, you know, how'd you get into the sport? Let's talk about your journey a little bit and then where you are now. Yeah, sure. I got into the sport. My sister took me in the backyard uh, when I was 12 and taught me a couple of random skills before a uh, trial started at junior high and made the team uh, junior high here in, in Edmonton. And uh, that ended up being a pretty strong volleyball school, which uh, really start plant. I, that's where I planted my roots of volleyball um, and then went on to high school at a pretty big volleyball school here in Edmonton called Harry Ainley. Uh, and uh, started having a lot of success with the sport and grew a pretty big love for it and then went on to uh, Red Deer College to play there with, in its heyday. Well, still really strong college, but um, back then we, were, we had a string of national championships, so I was fortunate enough to be a part of, and then on to U of A. And then after playing with U of A, I moved on to <clears throat> playing with Team Canada and professionally overseas. Uh, and once my career wound down, uh, I took, took some time off from volleyball and then got approached by that, the U of A head coach, then Terry Danilak, who's, you know, as you know, a volleyball icon, uh, he asked me to think about a succession plan with him to coach, to coach the U of A bears. <clears throat> and, uh, I accepted that offer and went, went to do my master's at U of A and about Seven years later, that succession plan uh, came to fruition and took over the team. And it's been a few years now that I've been head coach at, at U of A. So that's my, my journey, I guess, in a nutshell. Nice. So for those of you who don't know, University of Alberta, um, big time volleyball program out here in Canada. And, and Brock is now the head coach of that program, doing really well. Uh, and Terry, he's, he's still on board. Is he not? Is he like the general manager or something now? Yeah, Terry is very much still on board. So his technical title is general manager. Um, but with that comes a lot of assistant coaching. So he traveled with us this weekend to Mount Royal and he's with us every day in the gym, which is amazing because as I said, he's, you know, his, he's one of the most iconic volleyball, um, people in, in the country, um, and having his wealth of knowledge and his style, uh, of communication is, is just, uh, so awesome for our athletes on our team every year. Right. And um, how long did you play pro for? Four years. Nice. How was that experience? It was really cool. Uh, you know, when I was young, I set my sights to have a professional career and to be able to accomplish that goal and actually play in the countries that I wanted to. So the countries I set my sights on were France and Germany. Right. Um, I mean, I would have to play in like places like Italy, but I didn't make that. I didn't make that jump. Um, but uh, those are the places I got to play. And I, I 
I loved it from being able to accomplish that goal, but also as life experiences, like being over there and getting to a culture, learning another language, having friends that I'm still close with over there and, and having a, um, going through those, the, the battles of seasons in another country, uh, was pretty special and, and awesome to do. So I, I took a lot out of that in terms of, um, my, my personal journey. Right. And you were predominantly a setter coming up. I actually, I was only ever a setter. That, that was interesting. Um, okay. I loved playing every position. So any chance I got to play anything I would. And I, you know, if we have young listeners out there, please do the same. Try not to only play one position. Uh, I actually made some teams like French teams. And when I was young, based on that willingness, because they knew they could move me around. Um, and then in my U17 year, we uh, won a national championship where I was playing in the middle and then oh, setting nice. the setting in the back row. We just had a bunch of six, four guys. No one was really overly huge, but everyone was super athletic. And so we moved our, our chess pieces around a lot. And we had a pretty awesome coach who was able to do that in Sean Sky. Nice. So let's, let's dive into the setting position because it's one of the positions that like, you know, we have, we have setter coaches in our league and, and you're, you yourself have, you know, pr- spent a lot of time studying the position, teaching the position. Uh, Let's let's talk setting because I know a lot of our listeners really, really want to help their setters grow. Now, in terms of setting, I'm going to give you a bunch of different scenarios here. Let's say that you are a you're, you're coaching a younger team or rather an inexperienced team, and you need to teach setting from the ground up, from scratch. How would you approach that? What should coaches focus on? How would you teach someone that really doesn't have a clue on how to set a ball or the position for that matter? There's a number of ways to do that, but I think the, the two important things that I would generalize is have technical principles that you're focusing on, but always try to focus on those technical principles in live environments um, so that the, the reading components aren't um, dismantled. So I, I think young athletes need a lot of that, that game flow. And right now it's so extraordinarily um, important with COVID because athletes, we, we see it a lot at the development level right now. Athletes are really missing that, uh, <clears throat> missing that understanding of skill of game flow, just because of all the restrictions we've, we've had in Canada, which I don't disagree with. It was just the, the reality. Right. So, uh, some of those technical principles would be that there's just so many ways I could dive into it, but I think of feet, body, hands, and eyes. Uh, eyes at the lower level, I think is the really important part is just trying to read, read this scenario. And the way you can help an athlete do that is create live scenarios. So always having a ball coming over the net from a passer, uh, a passer that's in different spots on, on that athlete side of the net. That's the ideal. Now we don't always have that capacity. So maybe you're working with one athlete, so you can't have the ball come over the net. Maybe it's just you and one athlete. So you can't have someone tossing a ball over the net, uh, but you can still have maybe that athlete toss you a ball as a coach and then have a live pass. So they're reading your arms, reading the position, and then creating to create more live scenarios around that. You as yourself move as a coach. The athlete works on their penetration from different spots because penetration is going to happen whether you're playing, you know, a 5-1 at the varsity level or if you're playing triple ball at the 13U level. So trying to create those scenarios, which creates messiness and makes could some argue makes coaches feel uncomfortable, but that's okay. Like let your athletes work through that, but don't avoid technique. Um, 
I, I don't like when people get motor learning heavy and, and just disregard technique. So if we're talking about feet, it's ready position. If we're talking about hands, it's ready position. Um, we're talking about body. It's working on squaring, uh, which is the term I would use squaring to position four. I think a lot of coaches out there would know what that means. And uh, lastly, another really simple one is having athletes finish their set. So not, you know, having whacked out hands on their release, just having a good, strong finish to the set. So again, Brian, I could probably go off on like an hour of that kind of stuff, but I would oh, say those are technical principles in a reading based environment is really important for 13U to Max Elgar at our yeah, no, it, that's great. In those two minutes, I think I took like a good solid two paragraphs of notes. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, so just, so I want to dive into this just a little bit more because you brought up some great points, you know, technical principles, live environment. I love that, you know, as, as game-like as possible from different passing from different areas, ball coming over the net. Yeah, no, fantastic stuff. Um, let's, let's talk. And, and again, you, you don't, you can go into as detail or as little detail as you want, but I want to break down these four principles. What are some key elements of Let's go with the feet first that you look for in a center. What are some key things you want to teach? Uh, key things I like to teach uh, is when an athlete is moving to a, a ball, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and I think a, a good way to put it is to go small, big, small. And this is uh, one of Brett Walsh's articulations, how he likes to talk about it. So an athlete's in their ready position uh, by the net. When they're moving to a ball, say at the three meter line, those steps need to be athletic and have turnover. And usually when those steps happen, that first step normally is a left step off the net. And then they're going to have bigger steps towards the ball. And then once you arrive at the ball, I think that a lot of turnover is important. Now, I'm not talking like 18 steps, but if an athlete can get there in two steps, it might be better that they get there in five. Um, there is, I think, something that happens with our center of gravity and our tracking of the ball where if we can take micro adjustments when we arrive to the ball we can create a better center of gravity uh, to have more control under the ball so small big small um the last thing i i think there's a lot of variations of how you can have your last two steps into the ball and i think that there's differences in how uh, we can see it at the collegiate level um with how the styles that are taught on the women's side and the men's side. What I like to teach is a right left finish into the, into the set. Um, that large, there's a lot of reasons I can argue that and that why I've coached that is because it's like a spike approach because it's kind of like a shooting a basketball. It's something that I did as a setter, but the main reason is that the top setters in the world do that. And so when I'm trying to think of technique, I try to suss out what the top setters in the world are doing. Um, and it's also, it's really fun to watch it in different, uh, environments, whether it's with the women's, women's game or the men's game, but that's a big one that I, that I focus on with young athletes is that right, left finish. Uh, so that's the, the starting feet piece for me that I think are the key, the key ones. Right. No, I like that. The, the, I've heard of that, um, the small, big, small, like that's, uh, okay. that, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Uh, okay. Let's, let's kind of go to body. What are you looking for in terms of body body? I think just control not drifting through the set too much which is really a feat thing but having having control uh you know um kavika shoji is a setter uh from from the us who who says the body is like a backboard and it needs to be really strong and when we're looking at uh international setters they're 
they're really strong right here, like very stable. What I find with younger setters, kind of 13 to 17, is that that strength isn't there yet. So the body is kind of moving and sometimes this is happening and they, they need to generate power. And so there's a lot of stuff that happens with the body. And trying to get them to understand the importance of stillness and strength is really hard with young athletes. But if, if, if they can get the idea of it, now I've worked with a couple of athletes from when they were like 16U all the way up to 19. And as they grow and get stronger, this, this kind of seals up. But teaching them the technique of try to be still, try to be strong with your body, it's the backboard of your set, I think is really important. Uh, the next piece where I, I talk about body, I guess some people talk about it in feet, hips, shoulders. I think the main thing that I like to think about is the, the body needs to be squared to a reference point. So if I'm off the net, that reference point is position four. Um, as we move up in level, uh, and even at lower levels, I like experimentation with technique. I like to talk to athletes about experimenting with squaring to four and squaring their back to two. And when would be good to do that? Because again, if you look at the higher levels, it's not 100% that setters are always squaring to four. When they're on the move, sometimes they have to square to two. And then it's understanding how to use their body and the resulting set if they've squared their back to two. So strength, the Kavika Shoji backboard squaring. The last thing is uh, I don't like rigidity when you, when you set. So like going from... Uh, you know, uh, Michael Christensen said, I think one time going from zero to a hundred and then trying to hit the brakes is not a very athletic thing to do in your setting. So you, you gotta, you gotta allow for some athletic pivot into the set when you're making that square and a, a little bit of drift. Again, if an athlete is flying through a set, that's, that's not gonna, you're, you're going to have two vectors going different ways with the body and where the set's going, but an athlete can drift through a set if their center of gravity is strong. So there's a bit of a bit of pivot, a bit of movement that I think is okay because it's athletic to move a little as you're setting the ball. And again, I base that on just what the best setters in the world do. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I like, that's great. Yeah. I, I like the squaring to a reference point, you know, whether it's two or four, uh, that's solid. And, uh, and I like position four, not the pins. We're not squaring to the antenna. We're squaring to position four, which I think uh, a lot of uh, young setters make that mistake. So absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about hands. Uh, what are your keys for hands? Yeah, hands need to be ready. So uh, what I talk to athletes a lot about, um, it's like a hinge. I don't know how much you're going to use this video, Brian, but like if you're, if you hinge your hands like from or hinge your shoulder from here to here, that's a simple movement. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I still use in my coaching uh, practice when I learned, I learned when I was 14 from a coach at uh, Jasper volleyball camp, which, uh, has been one of our biggest camps out here in Alberta said, try to minimize your movement to reduce errors. And this was me just as a young 14 year old trying to serve the ball over the net. And I, th I, I think that when you watch the best performers in the world, they're so good at like being so efficient in everything they do. And that comes from minimizing movement. And so for young athletes, minimizing movement from where the hands are going, like you shouldn't be like drawing you know, drawing the guns from the waist, right, right. hands should be here and ready in a ready position. Uh, once we're in the offensive zone. So what I'm calling the offensive zone, uh, if you think of it statistically, we talk about passing on a four point scale. Some people talk about a three point scale, but I'll talk about a four point scale. Hopefully people understand that yeah, on a yeah. three pass, that's our offensive zone. What a three pass is, is I can set the middle hitter. 
Or if you have a pipe involved, you can send middle or, or pipe. When you're in that zone, the hands need to be ready. We're not sprinting and pumping our arms anymore. If it's a bad pass out of system, a, a one or two pass, we can move our arms a little, but in the offensive zone, the hands need to be ready because we're about to make a, we're about to make a set. You can see that like as a, as a basketball player, if you're, if you're receiving a pass or, um, you know, Michael Christensen talks about, he was a boxer when he was young. So he's, he's used to those hands being ready here. Uh, those hands need to be there. So we minimize movement in order to get ready to, to make a set. And that is something that when I've worked with young setters, you just got to drill it into them, remind them, remind them, remind them. And then once they're on the move, that's the tricky part for them uh, to keep those hands ready. From there, the, the, the way we touch the ball as athletes is very idiosyncratic. So I think in every position, there's something that it's almost ingrained, not, not ingrained, but natural. That's almost uh, very challenging for us to coach. So with passing, it's the platform, creating like a good platform. Some athletes have this, some of this. Um, for attackers, it's the arm swing. You know, the battle over changing an arm swing, that's a really hard battle. Uh, how, it, how an any athlete touches and sets the ball, that's very challenging to change. Um, not that you can't and not that you can't work on it, but some important things with the hands is, uh, I really like the way TJ put it was every setter has a one and a two. And the one is very unique to the, to the athlete. So how it happens. And sometimes it's like this, sometimes it's like this, but the two is really important. You can coach the two. So how I like to think about coaching the two is just making sure they have finish. The two is the release. Is the two is the release. Yeah, the release. Okay. <clears throat> making sure they have finish and making sure they have acceleration. So the, hand, the hands need to be fast through, through that two. They need to get the ball out fast. Uh, I'm not a big fan of soft hands. I'm a fan of fast hands. Uh, and, and the hands need to release fast. Now, me talking about the one, it's not that I don't try to help athletes with that. So I'll have athletes that their one is very elbow-based and not, not a lot of wrists. And that's a battle I fight with athletes in my – not a battle I fight, but something I try to change with athletes in my setting academy where we try to get those, those thumbs back because this lever here, the, the wrists that I'm rotating, that's a huge part of the set. And if we're only using elbows, we're missing a really big part of the touch, which is the, the wrist rotation. And if we can get athletes to use wrist rotation, man, it really sets them up for a lot of better things long-term. So that, those are some – some big things with the hands, the ready position, the one and the two, and, you know, trying to dive into the one if you can, but the two being really important with right. the finish and the acceleration. So the one is where you're, you're pretty much setting up your hands. Um, you want your thumbs to be facing you essentially. Yes. Right. And then your two is the release. Uh, and you know, it's funny you say that. Cause I, I, so I talked to Michael Maha a lot and he was saying that at the international level, the hands are getting faster. And if he, if he could go back and train as a younger setter, well, coming up, he, he would train the faster hands because the faster the hands, the harder it is to, to read. And he, so he can be so much more deceptive and all that fun stuff. So yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, Cause like that. those, those U S setters, I find have such a cool touch. Like it's really silky with the hands where yeah. Michael Maha is, I mean, he's got an incredible athletic release and yeah. <laughs> his hands are pretty good, but the way that American set is like, it looks like a lot of guys have played beach and they get this really like elastic type of touch, but the guys that become really good at it, like whether it's Christensen, Mike Maha, Mike Ma, how do you say his name again? Maha, yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Maha, yeah. Uh, Shoji. Um, yeah. you know, and they're all, they're, they're all Hawaii boys or LA yeah. boys that they grow up on the beach anyways. 
but yeah, and then that, so they have a really yeah. good feel of a deep pocket and the guys that are able to then like create the, a really good one too fast. It's a really cool kind of fast throw, but the ones right. that don't, then it's a bit, it's a bit dishy where you go to Europe and it's all like just firing the ball off more of a finger based set, like the top of the fingers, but yeah, there's yeah. differences in how you touch, touch the ball over the world. It's pretty interesting to see. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I like the one, two simple movement. And I love it. Okay. Last one. Talk about the eyes. What do we got about so the, the eyes? The eyes for me, like going back, yeah, I think it's kind of like, it's, it's involved in all of them. So all of these things you like, you can't do any of those things if your eyes are closed. So that's just an extreme example of how important the read is. So we utilize the, the, the read in every part of setting, you know, reading the server, reading the passer, reading your attackers, reading the blockers, reading the scenario. We utilize it all the time. Um, the more one of the just cheat codes to, to training that is when you're doing reps, try to create live reps. So even better than someone tossing it over the net, have a server serving because then you can read that serve. Number one, you're still a receiver as your first role as a setter, even though you hardly ever do it is a receiver because if it's going to hit the net, you got to pass that ball if you're by, by the net. But even reading servers is one of the things we start off with really early with our academy guys because you have to make sure you know where the ball is coming from in order to position your body to read the pass. So um, <clears throat> just the, the reading component, if we can train setters in as live uh, a scenario as possible, is going to come through reps. Mm -hmm. Like the more you are able to rep live scenario, the more just natural reading will happen. Um, now you can sink your teeth in a little deeper. So one of the things I like to do with athletes that are struggling to tie their footwork to their read is that they have to make a call uh, verbally, which direction they're going. So if a pass is being made, they're going left, forward, back, center, like if they're not moving at all. And once the ball is passed, we try to have them call that read maybe three, three feet or five feet off the platform so that ball is passed front and they make they make a front step and if we have video feedback we can match to see if their call is correct um, or if you i mean not everyone has video feedback but if you can as a coach can say hey that call was was incorrect or correct that's a way to kind of hack at that read a bit um and then just trying to have uh athletes read the scenario on their own side so it could be something like a passer being down and you need to notice that so your your person that's passed the ball is down you're going to set somewhere else or you can have the discussion about your passer has hit the floor are they ready use your eyes to see that uh in in really basic rep drills i'll uh i'll do things where guys are taking their their eyes off the ball and looking at their partner taking their eyes off the ball and calling a number uh, just the, the, the notion of getting your eyes off the ball or the, the notion of eyes on what's happening before and then watching the ball, watching the, the stimulus that's acting on the ball. So the passer, and then being able to take your eyes off the ball and go back to the ball, I think is something that is a really big part of the game. And if you can chunk that up within your drills, then you can try to rep it a bit block it a bit and then go back into, Oh, sorry. My uh, phone's my zooms was doing something weird there. Um, no worries, I got you. If you can, if you can wrap it a bit, 
in your drills, but then put it back into a more live scenario that I think is, is really useful. Now, a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, looking at blockers and things like that. That's, that's something that I, I like to train as well, specifically with, with eye movement. And so the, I guess the last more advanced thing is just how setters will look at the block. So the, I think there's kind of three ways to do that. It's with a full head turn, looking at the block and then back on the ball. It's, it can be just with your eyes moving only, or it can be what I, I read this somewhere in American saying, seeing through your ear, which is just peripheral vision. And when I work with our setters, uh, you know, at the U of A or whether it's with our academy, I really try to get them to understand the tracking process uh, of the pass and how that's involved in the look. Because when you work with athletes that haven't done it a lot, what they end up doing is a pass will go up, they'll look at the block, they'll have a chance at seeing the block, and then they go back to the ball and they're lost. They don't know right. what the ball is, and then they're setting it from their chest or whatever. So right. what I talk to athletes about is track the ball, understand where it's going. And once you're at that, once you have that in the past path in the past pathway, then take your eyes off the ball and look at the block. But you always have to have a track first. And that track can happen like parked under the ball, like a Brett Walsh style where he gets really under the ball or it can be more, um, you know, on your way to the pass. But you have to understand the pass pathway before you take your eyes off the ball. And the technique, like I said, those three strategies to do that are all, I think, unique to the athlete. We'll see it more like you look at like a Derek app. He does a full head turn when he does it. Mm. Um, Brett Walsh does a full head turn for me when I played, it was more like I would see through my ear. Like I would try to kind of look forward and pick something up in my peripheral. Right. Oh, fantastic, man. This is great. So listeners, you're, you may have to come back and, uh, and make some notes. Cause I got a ton of notes here myself just to kind of recap, uh, really, really solid technical foundation information here. So, uh, we talked about feet, you know, athletes moving to the ball, small, big, small center of gravity, maintaining case okay, stability, um, the, uh, I like the idea of, uh, of having turnover that, that was, that was, yeah, that was good. Uh, then we went to body control, not drifting through the sense strong with your body, the backboard, as you call it, the backboard, uh, you want to be extremely strong square to, to a reference point, whether it's position four or position two. Um, and then you finished off with the Micah Christensen, you know, don't go zero to hundred because that's going to be, you're going to probably lose balance in that way. So it has to be it's not, don't go zero to hundred, but don't stop. I guess it's don't go 100 to zero. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Don't hit the brakes, like be athletic through the set. It's okay to pivot or move a little through the set. Right, right. Yeah. That's a good point. Be athletic through the set. Uh, hands ready position, simple movements. We don't like, like you mentioned with the younger athletes, there's a lot of movement from the waist up towards the actual set is made. Um, you know, the way we, we touch the ball, the one, two. So the one is when the hands are in the, in the position above the forehead. And then the two is the release. So we want to really focus on that release eyes reading the server passer blockers attackers you're you're essentially reading everything and like you mentioned um you're you're reading the serve at, like, and where the ball is coming from just like passers would have to read that serve so that's a really good point uh making the call verbally which direction you're going sometimes when you're working on the skill is 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 uh, is, uh, is good as well um and then in terms of reading uh you know reading the scenario on your side uh, looking at the block, you, you had the option of a full head turn, uh, just the eyes are peripheral. So a lot of great, great notes here. Uh, good technical you, stuff. You were more concise than I was, Brian. That was really good. Nice oh, summer. no, I'm a student of the game and I'm listening to you taking my notes. You know, this is, this is fantastic stuff. I know. I love it. Um, so I want to, we, we pretty much dialed into 
not just for new setters, but this could be extremely valuable for setters at any level, to be quite honest, going back to some of these technical aspects of, of the skill. Now, let's say that you, you had someone that had a pretty good foundation. Maybe they've been setting for a few years. Maybe they're at the 17U level, 18U level, hell, maybe even, you know, university college level. What, how would you take a setter like that and take them to the next level? So foundation is pretty good location. You know, they've been setting for a while. What would you look for to take them to the next level? So from the varsity level to the level after varsity, like say professional or national. Let's, well, well, unless there, if there's two stages then fine, but I was thinking 18U to university. Oh. And then if there is another level after that, by all means from university to pro. Yeah. 18U to university, I think, you know, just through my years watching those athletes and spending time with them i honestly think it's it's a game it's a game of not getting too far ahead of yourself I, I think i've often thought that the best 18u setters are always the ones that are, are the most precise um and but and precision to me um do you know mark lebedu do you know who that is yeah i'm the court guy yep. yeah i played for mark in germany he was my coach there oh no way um yeah, but I really like how he talks about, I try not to say location. He like, he talks about precision and precision has two components. It's location and timing. So the 18U level, we're not, we're now talking about, you know, having speed to the set. And when you have speed to a set, the timing element's really important because if you set a ball and you locate perfectly, but it's really high or that maybe it's a little too high that is actually harder on a hitter to fix than if it's maybe a little inside, but has the correct timing or speed. So precision is the biggest thing I think to make the jump. Uh, and we saw that at, with our youth national team, like the best setter there was just the most precise. He wasn't making the best decisions. Now he'll have to uh, long-term to be one of the best setters in, in youth sports. But um, at that level, I, I, maybe it's, it just speaks to where we're at in Canada in terms of our development, which is probably behind other uh, world countries. But I don't, I don't see 18 new setters all being ready to be extraordinary decision makers. I see them needing to be more precise. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean they shouldn't be making decisions or growing that part of their game, but it shouldn't override the importance of pre precision. So the, the number one thing is for me is always your side and connectivity. Like if you, you can make the world's best decision, but uh, I really like Dustin Schneider put this way. One way is like, you can, you can beat the block, but if your set's not good enough, the defense is going to take you because you're going to have a misconnect and yeah, you beat the block, but the defense can get in there and, and dig it up. So connectivity on your side is the, is the biggest thing from the 18 U level to get to the varsity level, I think. Got it. And then as you were saying, to get to, from the, the varsity to, to pro, is there any other stage after that? The best, I, I think, simplification I can make, again, is quoting Lebedew in, in that any error that, ha that, that is made can only be tactical in nature. It can't be precision. Like you have to be so dialed in your precision. And I think the best setters in, in, at the youth sports level um, have that type of consistency and connectivity and they're they're making uh, very mature tactical decisions so when i when i think when we're making good decisions or making a great set it's not just like forcing this crazy middle ball or launching something across the the court those are great set those can be great physical sets but <clears throat> one of the 
one of the things I work with some athletes on is they'll make the coolest looking set out there, but they've set into their, their weakest attacking option. And the other side has the strongest blocking option. And if you're not aware that maybe just a little set over your shoulder, um, not a fancy set against their weakest blocker was the better set. Uh, that's often a battle that we have to coach up with athletes who are, who are trying to make the jump from an average varsity setter to uh, an elite varsity setter. So it is about understanding the decision-making and there's a lot of time that goes into that. A lot of statistics, a lot of video, a lot of situational awareness, a lot of um, understanding of your personnel and the systems you're playing in. So that it, it does come down to tactics at that level to, to go from varsity to the next level. Now um, it, it also may, it also comes down to how well-rounded of a, of a setter you are. Cause if, if you're only that, you have to be very, very good. If you're only a tactician, you got to be real, real good to make it at the next level. You have to be able to block. You have to be able to serve. You have to be able to dig. The setting is the natural leadership position. You have to be able to have your style of leadership and all those things. Um, you know, you can have, you know, like on a, on a mixing board, you can have some that are higher than the others, but they all have to equate to... Um, a big package in order to make the next level. Right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, precision and time or location and timing basically equals precision. And then to get to the next level, it's, it's more tactical. It's, it's the game of chess. It's thinking about matchups and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, I can 100% appreciate that. Uh, you know, talking to coaches around the league and around the world for that matter, one of the biggest problems they've had is the setter middle connection. Um, they've, they've, they've had the conversation of, you know, sometimes the setter sets the ball too high and the setter sets the ball too low. And the, the middle and setter connection just seem to be a problem for, for many coaches around the world that are talking about setting issues. Is there any advice you could give them about how to improve that setter middle connection? <clears throat> uh, well, anything in life is reps or mileage. So rep it, uh, rep it in a good environment. Like we talked about before. Yep. Um, one of the things that I think is, we were just talking about this this weekend um, in a volleyball discussion. When If you're struggling with a center middle connection, simplify your connection. So if you're running, uh, I'll just use the numbering system. Like maybe yep. you're trying to set 51s, 61s, 31s yep. slides. If you're struggling in those connections, just choose one. You know, um, there's, there's great, great setters that will run an offense with one option. And so it could be just a, a 51 based offense. Right. Um, and then you create your, your tactical options around that, but that's a great way to just simplify and, and build some rhythm. And then, and then even from there, you can, once that connects, then you can grow, grow from there. Okay. 51s are dialed. And now maybe we'll try some 31s. Um, the other thing to, to do, uh, I, I think is understanding the type of middle attack you have. So, uh, we, we talk about shoulders a lot, you know, there's some middle athletes that hit, uh, quite well here. So George Hoburn was our, one of our biggest middle players in the last couple of years. And, uh, Billy Johnstone is a pretty popular player for us. Both guys hit really well at extension. Mm -hmm. um, we've had guys in the past, some pretty good middles. So, um, this name's a bit of a throwback. Uh, Matt McCreary, uh, was a national champion with us in 2014. He was better here. Like he wasn't, he, it was harder for him to score here. So we would try to set him a ball lower just because right, right. his physical build, build, he could hit the ball better 
a little lower and people don't like this, right? Yes. They don't like this. The bent elbow. elbow. Yeah. The 90 but elbow. when it comes, when it comes to middles, there's, they're the long position and being a long person and hitting at extension is not easy, um, especially in the middle. So sometimes you need to know as a setter, whether where, what type of window your middle hitter has. And often that's connected to the physicality. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's at their extension. Sometimes they fix balls that are better lower. And you just need to know, you know, Glenn Hogue's big term when I played was setter hitter relation. And that's you're in relation with all your hitters as a setter. You need to know what they need and how, how they fix balls better. And a good exercise for that, for any coach and setter is um, just a paper exercise, go through all your hitters. What, what, what do they like? What, what do they do well at? What don't they do well at? So another thing to look at is like, is your, is your middle hitter someone that hits well coming from behind you as a setter? coming in from in front, mm-hmm. do they hit well along the net? Do they hit well forced from off the net? Now, often the, the hierarchy of being able to force a middle along the net, most middles can do that off the net is a lot more difficult. So it depends on their shoulder. So understanding the strengths of your middle attackers and in, in those different scenarios is really important. And then deciding how to utilize their strengths in, in a performance environment and then how to work on their weaknesses in a training environment. Got it. Yeah, I know that's solid. So in terms of location for the set, I mean, when, when you're setting the middle, the location can potentially change depending on the middle you have. If the middle is extension is longer, you're going to set them potentially higher if the middle, you know, things like that. Is, is that correct? That's correct. And also the, the length of the set. So, uh, a 31 set, I don't know, Brian, if you want, if you have different terms for that, like that nope. are, 31 is common. Yeah. For the, for, for our listeners who, uh, who may not know, uh, basically simply put a volleyball net is nine meters long. Each zone or each meter on the net represents a zone. So a 51 is what we would call a quick attack. And a 51 is on location five on the net. And the second number represents the height of the set. So when Brock is using the term 51, 31, the first number represents location on the net. The second number represents the height or speed of the set. So a 51 is a pretty quick ball, quick attack, as you guys would call it. 61 is a back quick. Uh, a 31 is more of a, an inside sh- a shoot for the middle in zone three. Um, also could be commonly uh, used as attacking the gap between the two blockers there. Like a lot of different terminology, but that, that there's, there's the 30 second crash course on what that is. Yeah, that's really good. And so the, the, one of the examples of length I want to use is when we talk about a 31, that's if the, if it's a very, very perfect pass, um, most volleyball courts, at least in Canada are on a basketball court and the right. basketball, uh, the, the circle, the center circle, um, the center is on one edge of that circle. No, very in the, when it's a perfect pass and the 31 is on the other edge of that. That's circle. interesting. That's, that's such a good point. Yeah. Well, man, we use, you know, a lot of, a lot of our terminology with the bears, it's all based on basketball courts because they're, <laughs> they're everywhere. Right. Um, so uh, one of the things you can do, like there's two ways you can run 31s and one is to attack a gap, as you said it. Um, so when a setter moves back or off the net, that 31 stays in that spot. Um, that can be good for two reasons to attack that gap. If that's where the gap is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other reason is simplification for the middle because the middle just knows they're going to that one spot. The issue with what I'll call a spot 31 is that if you have, if your middle attacker doesn't have a good shoulder, then the, the longer the distance, the harder it is on, for, on them to get a proper attack. Right. If you invest in that for a couple of years, there's a couple of varsity teams in our neck of the woods that do that. And they do that well, then you can get it. 
but it, it does take time. You also have to have a setter that's able to set that consistently. And that is a, a spot 31 distance. That's the hardest set to make. Um, so something you can consider with length is rather than have that athlete go to that spot all the time, that edge of the basketball circle, you, you could keep the distance of the 31. So as that setter moves back or off the net, you just keep that 10 foot distance, uh, which is the distance between those two. Roughly. I'm not a basketball junkie, so I'm yep. not exactly, yep. but, um, then it becomes easier on the shoulder and easier on the precision from the setter, more complicated because you have these moving factors. Um, and so you have to train the footwork and where to be consistently, but uh, the best middles in the, in the world are very, very consistent with their approach. So right. that's another element you can tinker with in terms of connectivity. And it's one that we tinker with. So we always analyze what each at the start of each year, whether we want to do a spot shoot or a, or a distance shoot. And it always depends on our setter and our middle shoulders um, for the, the getting the pattern. We'll, we'll just wrap the crap out of it to make sure our middles understand it. To kind of add on to your point there, um, just to follow up, if the setter gets pushed off the net to say the attack line, and we're still running a 51 base offense, we haven't, we haven't audibleized to a 30. We haven't broken for a 30. We're still going to run that 51. Would you want the set, you know, well off the net? So the hitter has more range or would you want the set closer to the net, still off the net, but closer to the net since the setter is setting from say the 10 foot line. So how's your uh, triangle uh, vocabulary? Oh, we're okay. Let's, so let's we go. Got the, we got an equilateral, right? That's yeah. The, Three sides are all equal. What's this one? An isosceles. Yes. Okay. Isosceles. I knew I was pretty sure it was that one. <laughs> not scaling. Isosceles but... is two. The sides are the same and the bottom is not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, I think the classic thing to do is create a triangulate. So that as the setter moves off the net, we triangulate. So the, the distance from that the setter is from the net, the middle needs to very quickly conceptualize that and be that same distance from the setter. And that's a very traditional spacing as the 50 as the setter moves off the net if you're running 51 pattern and that's a really good way to do it uh that's a little more off the net and then so that the angles for the middle are not as uh sharp but it's it's a pretty good um conceptualization of where you should be in relation to the setter and man it is so important for middles to be consistent. Like, uh, the last thing you, not the last thing, but what you don't want your setter to be worried about is like, I wonder if my middle is in the right spot because then they're not able to think about timing with their outsides, decision-making. They're just thinking about is my hitter in the right pattern in the right spot. And if we're trying to get our setters to do more tactical things, the patterns on our side need to be, be really locked in. And that comes from again, reps and mileage and communication. So that triangulation is important. It also helps set up if we're at the level where we can run a pipe over top. Um, and that's kind of our basic pattern. What, uh, now, I don't know if they were the first team to do this, but they were the team that we stole it from, the, the 2018 um, U Sports Champions, the UBC team. Uh, they started running the isosceles. So it was more off the shoulder and tight. Uh, when I played, we did this with Team Canada. I remember doing this with Louis Pierre, and we did it a bit in France. but. I remember UBC being the first team to really run this pattern. And then we we're like, oh man, this is a good idea. We should mess with this a little. So this turned more into an isosceles. And what it basically meant is that instead of doing that traditional um, triangulation, the middles were going a little more sharp along kind of, if I'm off the net and a, middle, I'm a meter off the net, the middle is coming more just in line 
with my body and off of my right shoulder towards the neck. And so now instead of setting it on angle in front of my face, I'm setting it off my right shoulder towards the net. Interesting. And the point of that is to really attack quickly off the net one angle. Um, to do this, you need to have uh, attackers with really good shoulders. And the big important thing here is if you're going to do this system, you need to slowly work them into it because it's really hard on the shoulder. Yeah, you can overshoot um, the ball easily too. Yeah, and that's that happens a lot. And if you do that repetitively, it's really hard on the shoulder because you're getting really right. uh, out in front and that back strike needs to be there or the shoulder's going to cause some issues. And that's something when we do it, we try to make sure we dose it early and progress so that the shoulders don't get messed up. But the strength of that system is, is attacking a gap very quickly. And then I find that it also is a little more uh, consistent if you're trying to run a really fast pipe over top of it, where the triangulation can be a little trickier to run a fast pipe. Now this is more like higher varsity level stuff that I yeah. think teams, teams are doing, but those are, those are the two options. I would say at the lower level, it's more important to do the, the equilateral triangle yes. triangle and it's easier on the shoulder as well. We got to be real careful with athletes shoulders at the lower levels with some of these techniques. Right. Okay. Fantastic. I got one last setting. I can't believe we spent almost 40 minutes talking about setting. This is fantastic. This is great stuff. Uh, okay. And there might not be a right answer to this question to be quite honest, but in terms of strategy, like let's just talk general setting strategy. When you come on the floor now at the varsity level, we're going to have a scouting report. We're going to know mismatches. We're going to know setter tendencies. We're going to know X, Y, and Z and all this stuff. But is there, is there any kind of general strategy that's good for a setter to run their offense? Like give me an example, you know, a lot, a lot of teams like to start with the middle. Let's, let's get our middle involved first, open up the court. So if the blockers are doubling it on the middle, we have an easier chance to free up the one-on-ones, you know, is there any strategy to, to a setter to run their offense that you would recommend? Or is that based on scouting report, et cetera? Yeah, it's, it's largely based on scouting report, but the two basic things I'll recommend for all levels, uh, the, the, I guess the problem to solve in terms of, of, uh, your game plan is one mid-court involvement so the best setters in the world have mid-court involvement but the best the best offenses even at the lower level have mid-court involvement because if you if you just turn into someone that sets left side you're not really setting an offense you're just giving the left side the ball and that happens a lot at youth and even at the varsity level um, especially in transition uh, so have mid-court so that can be that can be middle running 51 that can be middle running a step, you know, like a step around or, or a slide as some, or some, some call it, um, have the middles getting balls. If you can add a pipe in there, then great. Um, if you're front row dumping, that's, that's, that's mid court involvement, but you need to be able to do stuff in the middle of the court because that's, you know, we talk about chess, like, you, or maybe football, like football is a good example. You got your running backs and your receivers. You need to use your running backs or else everyone's just going to loosen their defense and get on the receivers. Great and enough. the best quarterbacks have a good, good grasp of those two aspects of the game. Um, setters need to be able to use the mid court. So then they can properly isolate the outsides. Uh, that's the really the biggest thing in terms of setting up a tactic. Um, the next thing is width. Uh, so if we can have width of attack, so you already mentioned nine meters, if we can always have a threat of attacking across all nine meters, that's ideal. That doesn't, that's really hard to do because with, you know, youth volleyball setters being the front row, um, if it's a five, one, having a C ball attack out of the back is, can be pretty difficult at the youth levels. 
Um, you know, I, I mentioned it already, but a step round or a slide creates width. Running a C ball creates width. If you right. if you have that, if you're running a six two, then you're able to have that front row width. But if you can create some feel for width, and sometimes it doesn't mean all nine meters. Maybe it's just involving more of a pipe attack, so that again, it's not just left side heavy. Um, and there's so there's there's different versions of width, but mid court and width are the most uh, important when we're talking about their side. What is takes precedent over all of that? The number one tactic, connectivity on my side. I need to connect with my attackers. That's the number one thing. And because sometimes you're just not going to have passing. And at the end of the day, if you don't have passing, it does become just setting left side. So if you can set left side well, when you don't have passing, that ends up being the connectivity piece. But connectivity is always primary. And then width and midcourt or midcourt, then width. Got it. Got it. No, fantastic. Oh, these are great. Wow. We spent, what is that? 45 minutes talking about setting. That is unreal. This is great stuff, man. Okay. So I'm we're just going to, we're going to, we're, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. We're going to kind of wrap it up with just, just your national involvement. I, I know a lot of listeners on here um, are predominantly coaching the age group under 19. We have, we have many that are coaching college and pro, but predominantly, you know, 19 and under 18 and 17, et cetera. Um, talk about your experience on the national team. You know, when you have a, when you have a program that is very short, you know, cause teams are going through their season. They come to you, you have them for what, a couple of weeks, maybe a month, maybe four or 48 weeks and you're competing. And then the summer's done. Like it's really quick. How do you, um, how do you approach that training regimen? How do you plan to have a group of athletes for a short amount of time? And you guys are going into battle pretty quickly. How does that work? I, uh, I think if you're, you know, it really, really depends on what your goals are, what your competitions are. Like if we're, talking about like our youth team this this year we we didn't have any competitions we guys were coming off of well i'll put off of covid since right. it's still going on but um they were able to play again so our goals were very different than say like a junior national team summer or b team or a team summer um so we based our planning well i was assistant coach so it was, it was mike hawkins doing more of the planning but in our discussions it was just baseball getting guys playing getting guys competing working skills um, getting fulfilled through playing volleyball again. Right. Uh, you know, if you have like a world championship, then it's a lot different. You know, the, the mood is different. Your, your training program is different. It's probably a summer where you have like two or three months of training. Right. So how you manage your load is different. Um, if you only have them for a couple of weeks, like it's, it's the load management goes in many cycles and it's a lot different. So right. it, it's, you need to sit down and always work with the end dates or end competition in mind and then work your way back in terms of your your seasonal planning and even though there's tons of templates out there man seasonal planning is it whatever the season is is you know as much an art as it is a a science because you got to lay out your plan have a plan in advance know your goals pick objectives um picking objectives you know we can't get everything done as coaches so you know picking your objectives based on how much time you have and uh, you know, sticking with that. So understanding your group and understanding what they need to work on and what you as a coach want to work on. Um, and that means you're going to miss some stuff in those, in those short summers. Uh, so you got to understand what you need to, what you need to accomplish and then how you're going to accomplish that. And if there's stuff you're missing, what you're sacrificing, but that always just depends on the nature of the, yeah. of the competition, the length of the summer, because you can get a lot done if it's like a three month summer, if it's, like our youth team was this summer where it's just a couple of weeks. We're right. a lot less done. 
Yeah, no, I completely understand. Okay, so I got one last big question for you, and then a couple follow rapid fire questions, and then uh, we're gonna call it a day. So, in terms of, we got a lot of coaches listening to this. You know, their their players' dream is to make the national team. How how do we how do you make the national team? So, what what advice could you give them? You know, what are you guys looking for when it comes to selecting national team players for a program? What should athletes and coaches be focused on? It's kind of an open ended question. Sorry, man, but. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't have too much authority there as I've, like, I, I've worked a little bit with uh, at a coaching level with national team, but um, just, I guess, more experience based. I think like one of the biggest things that I would love to just send the message out there is skills, 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 be skilled, work on your skills, be a volleyball player. Right. Um, I think uh, one of the things that, you know, social media has done is like, brought volleyball to the forefront, not to the forefront, but it's been, it's, it's made volleyball accessible. We see all these highlights. We can see teams playing in Europe, teams playing in the States, teams playing here. And it's way more fun to watch like an amazing spike or this really big block or a cool play than to watch a free ball, watch a, a free ball get passed or watch a high ball be set. You go into the Gatineau sports center and guess what they're working on? Like they're working on skills. Like when I, when I played there, we spent so much time on skills every day. And when you talk to the national team coaching staff, it's one of the, the gaps that we got to close as a country is skills like middle. If you're the middle that's listening out there, don't just block and spike. You need to learn how to set. You need to learn how to dig. You need to learn how to pass a short serve. You need to be very consistent from the service line and right sides out there. Learn how to pass. You never know when you're going to get flipped over to the left side. Um, skills are so important. And I feel like, I feel like uh, I don't want to say we don't value them enough because I'm not all over Canada. I don't know what coaches are, are coaching everywhere, but my, my concern is, and especially coming out of COVID is that our skills are, well, actually I shouldn't, that's, that's a different conversation because a lot of what we could only work on in COVID was skills. But yeah. um, my concern with uh, Canadian volleyball is just that we we're not bridging the gap at the youth level enough with skills um, I could be wrong, but that's always been something that I know from my time with the national team to whether it was playing to coaching to now being a coach myself, like it's a common theme that that is often not at the level where it needs to be. Right. So when I see athletes move into the recruiting conversation, when I'm scouting athletes, if you're very skilled, you're exceptional. Like you look at a guy like, Let's, let's go to Matias Elser at Trinity who can play any position. He's so extraordinarily skilled and that makes him a pretty special volleyball player. But if you go to Europe, it's everyone is like that. Like they're, they're all so skilled. And in Canada, we don't have enough of that. that I, at least that I see when I'm scouting. I'm not saying that coaches aren't focusing on it because I, sh I can't speak to that. But I just don't see it. I don't see those skills enough in, in youth athletes. And that makes me... That makes me conclude that maybe athletes aren't valuing it enough at a lower level. And so our role as coaches is that we need to have athletes value skills. When we like we have when we have our small group training at U of A, we'll have guys like a Braden Friesen who will come in early in the morning and just set highballs for an hour. Right. And just go dig highball, dig highball. And you know, that's cool to see like a national team athlete who just wants to work on skills. And he's got one of the biggest shoulders in our league, but he's coming in the morning and just setting, setting, setting. Like right focused on like his focus on setting is just dialed and he gets frustrated if he doesn't set well and this is a guy that's just like one of the 
conference's biggest bangers set yes. set set so Amazing. that would be my biggest message there's a bunch of other same stuff obviously brian but yep. if i could oh. get skills across the next one would just be serving we don't have <clears throat> in just the infrastructure of volleyball facilities in canada it's not the same as in europe um where we don't have proper serve run-up space uh and that's just the the nature of the beast with with right. facilities um so athletes don't learn how to spin serve with a proper run-up when they're young or get a long float serve run-up and so our serving suffers at the higher levels i think there's been a lot more focus on serve prowess and velocity in the last 10 years so that's maybe increased our ability to develop serve but that would be the next one got it no absolutely so skills 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 and then let's dial in on our serve. I, I always say too like serving is the only skill in our game that you have 100 control over you were the only person involved in that skill. So it's definitely one thing that you could work on by yourself in the gym yeah. or whatever the case is. So and that's an interesting one. If you want to spend another 45 minutes talking. I know, right. <laughs> that's so funny. That's absolutely right. All right. So I got some rapid fire ones for you. If you could go back to your younger days as a coach, uh, what are the top three? You don't have to list three, but what are the top one, two or three pieces of advice you'd give yourself? Oh, uh, don't uncover every stone. Um, hammer on skills and just enjoy it. Yeah, I, I love yeah. it. Yeah, skills don't under, don't uncover every stone, which is true. You try to dissect every little thing and do all that stuff, and then uh, what was your what was the throw and have fun? Yeah, well, fun. I, I have an issue with that term. Uh, I'll, I'll say just enjoy it. Enjoy it. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Right. No fine. problem. Um, if you could have uh, dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Ooh, I would pick my my mother's father. He's the only grandparent I didn't get to meet. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Brock, my man, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Uh, listeners out there, uh, you're going to have to go back and re-listen to this episode because there was a ton of great stuff. Just to give a little quick recap, we dove into setting. We This was a, a really, this was like a course on setting almost of all the things that you guys learned today. We talked about the important technical principles in terms of your feet, body, hands, and eyes. Um, also practicing setting in a live environment, having a ball come over the net if possible, being received by a passer. We talked about, you know, the, the feet, the ready position, squaring to position four, finishing your sets, um, the ideal of, you know, small, big, small, okay, uh, moving your feet. Don't go from 100 to zero. You know, you want to have a, a little bit of, you can't go from 100 and stop completely because it's going to, you know, throw you off. Having that center of gravity, um, being aware of it. Uh, we talked about squaring to reference point, control, not drifting through the set. So strong with your body. Your body's the backboard. Uh, we talked about hands, simple movements with the hands. So going from one to two, one is, you know, getting the hands above the forehead um, and making sure that that is tactically correct as well as two, the release, focusing on the release. That's a really important part of, uh, of the set eyes. You're, you're not, as a setter, you're not just looking at the pass coming over, but you're looking at the server, the attackers, the blockers, you're, you're looking at everything. Um, you know, one thing to practice at is, is making the call verbally in the direction you're going. And there's a lot of other ways that Brock talked about training that. Uh, athletes, you got to read the scenario on your side as well. Okay. Making sure you know what, what's happening. If you have a uh, passer that is on the ground after you pass the ball, they're, they're probably not an option. 
Um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at the block. You can do the full head turn. You can just look with your uh, eyes quickly, um, or you can use your peripheral. All right. And then in terms of bridging the gap from, you know, the 18 to university level, uh, precision, not location, but rather precision, because precision includes location and timing, which is essential. So that's a big focus to jump to the next level. And then for those of us that want to go play pro, um, the, the precision has got to be there. That's that, that's an expectation. It's a requirement. And then we're going to talk the tactical aspects of our game, making the right decisions you know, looking at the scouting report, setting up your, your offense in the right way. And then some simple, you know, center middle connection that I know a lot of coaches have had issues with. It's just, you know, a matter of reps, 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 as we, as we talked about the ideal of triangulating the center hitter, as well as the isosceles triangle we got into, which is kind of funny. Go, go back and, and do that one. Um, we talked about the, the spot 30 or the distance. So playing around with that ideal of, are you going to have a specific distance from the middle or is it going to go straight to a spot 30? They're going all the way to that spot right away. And then some simple setting strategies we talked about was uh, making sure we're involving the middle of the court. And Brock used a great analogy of, um, of football. You know, you, you can't, you're not going to just have wide receivers getting touchdowns. You're going to have people running the ball through the middle and so forth. So making sure middle routes are involved, uh, set or dump is also uh, controlling the middle of the, of the court as well. And then we talked about the width of the attack. And the number one thing actually is connectivity on our side. So before all that connectivity on our side was huge. And the last bit of thoughts here, skill, skill, skills. I think that's a great message. Tone in on your skills, your ball control, your setting, your ability to manipulate your platform, you know, all these great things, your hands, setting the ball, um, just, just, just playing volleyball, playing the game. Like that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to work on those skills. Uh, so Brock, any final words for our listeners? Uh, no, I think that was, that was great. My only final words, I guess, was just, just would be just always be a learner when, uh, whether it's volleyball or in life, it's a, it's a, it, you can get a lot of uh, filming out of volleyball if you're always just trying to learn. And I would say the same about life. So. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm a lifelong learner. I think that's a great, great piece of advice. So Brock, thank you so much, man. Listen, I, I really appreciate your time for the, for listeners. I, I've been trying to get Brock on the pod for a while and I messed up last time by, uh, not having him on and I, I canceled by accident shouldn't have done that, but I had him on and this was a great episode and I really appreciate the time, man. And, um, he is, if, for those of you that want to kind of follow up on Brock, he is the, the head coach of the university of Alberta and Brock, you also run a setting Academy. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. You want to just really quickly mention how people can find out more about a setting Academy. Yeah, if you go on to our varsity skills and prep camps page, it's through the U of A. Uh, it can be a little tricky to find, but uh, if you follow our, if you follow Golden Bears Volleyball on Instagram, our information on the Setting Academy is always there. Uh, it runs uh, this. It, it runs in the mornings once a week. This this year, it's running uh, Tuesday mornings. We do a Setting Academy and a Receive slash Defense Academy at the same time. It's very small group, six to eight athletes that get in there and Setting Academies with me. And the Receive Academy is with uh, one of our masters and coaching students. Um, yeah, and that info, the best place is just through Golden Bears Volleyball Instagram to stay up to date with that. Got it. We'll put it, we'll make sure we put it in the show notes. That's Golden Bears Volleyball Instagram account. We'll put it in the show notes for all our listeners out in the uh, Alberta region. Well, it's, it's Alberta. It's not Alberta. Where, where is it really? It's, it's not the whole province. It's in Edmonton. So because it's Edmonton. in person, it's just in Edmonton at Savile, the Savile okay. Sports Center. Yep. Got it. Edmonton. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I'll see you next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? 
How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.